Hey guys, welcome back to the BMW Blog podcast of season two, episode four, and we have a very special guest today. You might have seen some of our recent articles on some secrets within BMW. So now today we have Steve Saxty, the author of BMW by Design Trilogy. I guess there are three books. And uh, Steve will tell us some stories from behind the scenes. Then in future episodes, we're going to talk about some other books coming out from that particular three book set. So Steve, uh, of course, Nate as well. Nate, welcome. Steve, welcome as well. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Steve, right away. We're just going to go right into it. Tell me more about yourself. And then also tell me more how these books came to life. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, hi, guys. And um, thanks for asking me on. I'll try and be quick. When people are asked to talk about themselves, they usually think it's the most exciting thing in the world. I'm sure it's not. Um, so my very quickest background is, as you can guess by the accent, I was born in the UK. Um, I grew up loving cars because my mother loved cars. My mother is now 97 and still loves cars. She's just stopped driving, in fact. And so I grew up near Ford's R&D Center. So prototypes were just going by all day long. And it always, it left me with a bit of... Um, a fascination for the future, if you like. And you start reading the car mags as a kid, as you used to read magazines in those days. Yeah. And I thought, I want to just be a car designer. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a test driver. You want to do all these things all at once. Of course. Yeah. So, um, and luckily enough, Ford were uh, smart enough, daft enough, I'm not sure which, to, 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 to um, give me a sponsored uh, training. And I became a design engineer. So I worked for Ford for a number of years. And... I realized I was probably less of a designer, perhaps less of an engineer and more of a marketing during that phase. And also there was more money in marketing as well, I think. So, uh, so I moved my career more in that direction. And so I moved from um, Ford, I went to Mazda, I went to Porsche. I thought the company cars were getting more, and more fancy. <laughs> and um, so I did that um, and then moved into consulting um, because what's better paid than doing it is talking about it, I discovered. And so uh, I moved into consulting for mostly probably about 12 years, something like that. And that's when I moved over to the States. So I live in New York. Um, in, and then perhaps on a whim, I uh, emailed the MD of Jaguar, I joke with cars, he suggested it would be nice if I worked there, which is ridiculously arrogant for rent for hindsight. And he was generous enough to say, yes, come over and run the global advertising. So I, I went back to the UK for a while. Um, then came back over to the US and did various other roles, um, including I did media for the Volkswagen and I wrote, ran global strategy for Nissan uh, on the brand side through their agency network. So, so I sort of progressively done more global roles and it's a mix of being on the marketing and consulting side and working for the vehicle manufacturers so Ford, Mazda, Porsche and, and Jaguar um, so that's that's my background as quick as I can do it gotcha. so let me show the books quickly because not only they're fantastic to read but I feel like the the quality yeah. the print and everything is just top-notch I mean I know Hugo got a set as well and he was raving about that he's He's probably he probably has all the BMW books that came out ever because he's he's a huge uh, you know <laughs> buff when it comes to BMW history. But yeah, the books are great. So this is BMW by design. Basically, we're gonna put some stills on the screen as well. You can see them. And I guess well, probably you know, my second or my first favorite. I'm not sure because there's so many secrets in here. You know, uh, <laughs> hidden BMWs, hidden gems, and there are quite a few stories there. And honestly, I mean, I'm just gonna open up to show you quickly. I mean. Uh, Fantastic. I'm actually still shocked that they gave you so much access and they showed you some of the secrets and especially sketches and all of that. So so maybe let's start with that, right? So how did BMW open the doors for you? Because for many years I've been also trying to like get more in there into the fits and all these secret facilities and tell me more stories and they're always very reluctant, you know. Well, it, it, it's it's almost quite a romantic story in some ways. So um my COVID project, because everybody had a COVID project, was to write a series of two books called Secret Fords. So I'd written some books before that on Ford. My relationship with Ford had begun to be progressively stronger and stronger over the years. And so Ford offered me all of their design sketches and prototype pictures and all that stuff. And it turned into a very popular series of books. That's all great. Um, and one of them was Book of the Year finalist. So I had a little bit of a reputation in that space. And what I didn't know was 
Adrian Van Hoydonk, I'm sure most people are familiar with the name, but Adrian Van Hoydonk, the BMW Group chief designer, bought the books. And so he also has in common somebody um, I know that, again, some people might know the name of Han Guy, who was formerly the chief designer of Porsche. But Han is also, how I know him, formerly a designer of Ford. He's also Dutch, same as Adrian. What I didn't know is Adrian and Han are friends properly friends, not acquaintances. <laughs> and so, all of this is going on behind the scenes, of course. Adrian's been buying my books, Tom and he got chatting. And so one morning, and I remember it well because it was heavy snow outside. You couldn't leave the house. It was brutally cold day. And Tom just rings me up. And he said, I've only got 20 minutes. I've got a pizza in the oven. I'm thinking, okay, why is the former chief designer of Porsche ringing me up? He's not asking for cooking tips. And so... He's chatting away, and I'm thinking, there must be a reason. He can't be ringing me up on Sunday morning for a chat. You know, and, and he said, I've got an idea for a book. Now, remember, I used to work for Porsche. I used to work for Ford. I've done the Ford books. I'm expecting him to say, you should do a book on Porsche. And the world is full of Porsche books. No. And he said, you should do a book on BMW. I said, well, that's amazing. I, I think BMW, uh, Adrian may have bought my book even. I thought I saw his name on the list one day. He said, yes, he's bought your books. We had lunch the other day, and he's very keen for you to, to talk. I said, really? And he said, you need to write him a letter. Now, we're all young enough to be the, the sort of era of emails. You don't write letters. I mean, I, 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 I said, write him a letter? And he said, yeah, no, no, at his level, you, you have to write him a letter. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll write him a letter. Now, remember, it's snowing outside, so I typed out the letter, and I thought, I'll post it inside their building. I won't even leave the house. And I thought, this is never going to get to Munich. This is never going to find its way through the internal mailbox in our apartments in Manhattan, out to Adrian's desk. It's never going to happen. So about six weeks later, I got an email back, and it was a letter in a PDF <laughs> that had been stamped in, emailed back to me from Adrian. And um, it was a nice letter, so I'm sorry it's taken me so long. I wanted to think about uh, your letter exclamation mark um, and but if you'd like to talk I've got this idea for a book that that might be different and potentially quite interesting I've you know I'd be happy to chat via video if, you, if you're interested and I thought now I don't expect Adrian to straight away get on video but as I've discovered become progressively more friendly with Adrian he's happy to chat and I've spent a lot of time a lot of dinners and lots of chats with Adrian over the years and but I like it straight out the gate and when we got talking First thing he did was to tease me, why did I write a letter? And I thought, well, <laughs> so, um, and, and so really it's his idea more than mine to write the book. His suggestion was to write the design history of BMW through the lens of its concept cars. And I'll be honest with you, I was a bit sceptical. And the reason being is the secret Ford books that I did, the, the two volumes of that, was through the lens of all the concepts that are designed along the way to get to production car. So it's the story of the production cars with all the bits that fall off along the way. And I thought that was a really nice way of telling a story. But the problem is, is of course, car makers make so many more cars than they ever used to. So if you look to BMW's range through most of its history, it's been three, five, seven, and a coupe. coupe. Um, whereas Ford would probably have had like fired in Europe, you know, when I was in the US it's much higher. So, but the problem is, is, of course, in the last 20 years, the range has expanded so much, you couldn't tell the story of every BMW as a design story. It would just be like 20 volumes thick and it would be too much to read. So Adrian's idea was to do it through the concept. I was like, yeah, but are people really kind of interested in like, well, it's one-off bits of show stuff. And he said, no, 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 no. These cars are so important to us. They are absolutely the most prestigious things to do. To design a concept car is a real career-making thing for the designers, and it really influences BMW. And I thought, um, does it really? You know, I mean, they're not just put on the show stand to like get people to come on and buy a three series. Like, you know, they said, no, 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 no. They really do dramatically influence the company. I have to tell you, Steve, it is the most important thing we do here sometimes is is the concepts because they really are so important to our future and i was like crikey well that's different and it's you know somebody's worked in the industry like me all this time 
I'm unused to hearing somebody be so passionate with it. It's such an important insight into their future. So that's how it started, basically. Gotcha. So what was the next step? Did you go to Munich? Did you have a chance to go behind the scenes? That thing, um, well, first step was, of course, we were still in the throes of COVID, and I had to finish the Secret Fords book. So I sort of had to wait pretty much through the roughly about eight months to 12 months before I could even start. I was so busy. So it was one of those things where I felt really bad that I'd been given this gift to talk to agents and come over more. And I, partly because of COVID, partly because of just the work finishing the other books. Um, so I did go over and I had my first introduction was dinner with Hamla Guy and Adrian. And uh, Adrian is probably the tallest human in the world. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm six foot one. I don't know how tall he is. He's about six foot six or so. I think it's a thousand. And so you can't fail to miss Adrian. So he walks in. And we had dinner um, at the Munich Drivers Club, which is this uh, lovely place just outside uh, where their headquarters at Fitz are. Beautiful place to sort of see lots of lovely cars. It's a very nice, elegant environment. And so we had this really quite fun dinner. And I thought, okay, he's so busy. I said, well, do you still need to meet tomorrow, Adrian? Because I could just imagine how busy a guy like that is. So it'd been a great dinner, you know, going for three hours. And he said, oh, no, we have lots to talk about. No, we absolutely need to talk tomorrow. Okay. I didn't realize that you still, you know, you're still going to find time for little old me. And so we, we sat there for, I think it was another hour and a half or something like that in his office the next day. And we really fleshed out the idea for the book. And, in, um, and it was at that point he made, well, he did two things, actually. He made the commitment that he, I'd be able to talk to anybody. And okay. if there's one thing I can only impress on, I hope, or as you know, you've seen it, you'd agree, is, is nobody, I was never filtered. I was never, there's, that book is truly me being able to wander inside the company and talk to everybody. Yeah. And Adrian made that commitment, which I think is so impressive that he trusted me and I trusted him in return that we would absolutely go in and let me just talk to them as an insider and what a gift that was um, to just to just wander the place and, and talk to everybody gotcha so were you were you a bmw aficionado before or this was a process for you also to learn about the company and about its history as well a bit of both so i we my wife now we drive bmw so we do actually own bmws um, my ford fans might assume that i only drive Ford, but i do have a classic ford as well don't worry um so we do drive BMW, um, and I also have some experience with BMW, both socially um, and professionally. I, I worked with BMW in my consulting days um, on the Rolls-Royce project and what to do with Rover as well when the, they were trying to figure out whether to dispose of Rover. And um, I, I used to also date a girl that was, uh, was, was there as well. So I, I have... A background going into Munich professionally and personally over the years, and that now I've discovered they're so into all of that stuff. So they love that. I had a little bit of a story with them, um, and if I'm honest with you, I'm not going to say I am the world's biggest BMW fan, but that actually makes me objective. So mm -hmm. there is an element where, goodness me, I mean, I've become almost an expert after two and a half years. I might feel, but there's something you only get living the brand. 20 years like some people obviously do but what i can say is, is i've learned this company from the inside in a way that is an unbelievable gift you know i mean i i i feel that's the the the, the gift i can give it's not so much an expert opinion but a learned opinion because of course i've worked in other car companies as well so i've got comparison gotcha. um, so that's my hope i think to read it was there so, a I was yeah. just going to say, so when you got into talking with Adrian and, and was there a time period that you're looking to focus on or was it more of like across the whole history of BMW concepts? Well, <laughs> the fact that there are now three books tells you So the original plan was to, as I mentioned, cover it through the concept card. But mm -hmm. what I realized is Unless you explain the story through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you're going to lose part of the audience, which is obviously the people that love the classics. But also, if you just start the story, nobody knows what happened before. So even people that love and know the modern product, 
you've got to know the backstory. So I, I realized early on that I needed to go right back to the beginning and tell the story. And, 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 and Peggy, again, you'll have to trust me, and hopefully you're actually agrees. The first three chapters are almost flying at 30,000 feet before we drive or dive down into a low-level pass into the Peggy nature. And that's so, a very good point uh, because there's a lot of new people to the brand. Obviously, like the M brand is huge now that you know that they're doing record sales all the times. And there's a lot of people who don't know some of that history and those concepts that led to products that are out there today. You know, I'm, I, I love seeing those, those things like the, the original X5 that had the M5 engine in it that they, that they did, the V10. That was just cool stuff, yeah. which led to, you know, X5M products. You know, so right. it's 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 kind of a you, you need that history to get where we are today. Yeah, t- totally. Because otherwise, um, you know, if you're an enthusiast and you don't like SUVs, or if you like the modern cars and you you don't understand the history, you need everybody to be a little bit on the same page. Um, so that's what I wanted to do, really. Um, um, which, and also, it's fun for me. It's the way I learn because I now know the history through and through. So I think I wrote it from the post-war period on, because nobody really wants to go right back into the 20s and 30s. And, uh, I, I get that. It's a yeah. lot of motorcycles. So, <laughs> it's, it's, there are um, but, but from sort of the 70s and the Paul Brack era, um, because that's such a rich vein of creativity, and that's what shaped the company today, that's where the story really gets going, 70s and 80s, I think. So enough teasing, I guess we've, we've teased the content quite a bit and you mentioned a little bit earlier the Range Rover story so should we talk a little about, about that you don't have to give away the entire story but maybe enough to um, to make the audience understand what happened behind the scenes sure um, well well one of the fascinating things I, I, I got I'll give something away along the way is um, that BMW were look at, looking at buying Porsche how different those two companies history would be if BMW bought Porsche as planned but instead, they bought Rover Group, which included Land Rover, included Mini. And the, the reality was, is the Range Rover needed replacing. Wolfgang Reitzler, um, a name that many will know that knows BMW history, the head of R&D, was very passionate about Land Rover and Range Rover within it, and really wanted to, to make this the finest SUV. It was completely separate to X5. There was never any sharing of designers. It was... And, and the original models were designed out in the UK. But the truth of the matter was, is to get the engineering standards up to BMW standard, they they engineered the car and finished the design completely inside Germany. And so I thought it was a really cool story. In a, in a compact space, as I brought all the designers together. Um, and so I, I had them all in the chat one day. And so actually, um, they'd never been reunited for, for decades, some of these people. So it was a fascinating mix. And one of the things that, again, has never been told is Ian um, Cameron, who oversaw it, was a BMW designer, but he's British. So there was a BMW designer overseeing it alongside the Brits, even though he was British. So it's a real mix of people, but it's very much a German engineered, and the final design was done all in Germany. So um, so it's, it's kind of a cool story, I think. There you go. I, I gave a lot of people away there, but I think it's a cool story. <laughs> Now, for those who don't know, what, do we know which? So, which which model was that of the Range Rover? Well, it has two names. So, if you speak to um, if you speak to Range Rover and Land Rover enthusiasts, it's an L three twenty, but inside BMW, it's L thirty. Actually, how disconnected things were is they had two different code names: one at Rover and one at one at BMW. So, yeah, it's L three twenty to Land Rover people, L thirty to BMW people. It's the original uh, Range Rover from 20 years ago, the, the third generation car. Um, gotcha. Okay. Now, if you were to pick the most interesting chapter out of BMW by Design book, which one would it be? Or which one is your favorite? Yep. Yeah, that's very <laughs> you asked you ask me to name my favorite children. I was just going to say yeah, the same yeah. thing. Okay. <laughs> um, what's my favorite chapter? I mean, it's the, it's the chapter I didn't expect it to be remotely interesting um, because I didn't understand the car, and that's the BMW Next 100, um, okay. which is 
the gold concept car um, from whatever it would be, 2006, 2007. It's easily the most influential concept car they've ever made. And it's changed the face of BMW and its future. So the influence on Naya class, the that's to come, and the influence on the BMW mindset um, was huge from that car. So it's a massively important car. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't realize how influential and how important that car was. And when you see that chapter, which is, I think it's about the 10th or 11th chapter, it is a beautiful car in its own right. Mm-hmm. And the thinking behind it and the engineering on it was so so unusual. And and also, the coolest bit is, is I think that's what the chapter's titled, it's the most expensive BMW ever made because it was just so, so much in it. Um, so... I think that BMW Next 100 gold concept car, um, I love that chapter because I learned so much. I really did. If there's one chapter that encapsulates BMW in how it thinks, it's possibly that chapter. And I think that's, I mean, a lot of people know it was the, actually the anniversary car for BMW that for 100 years they did, I, I guess, a, a BMW, a Rolls-Royce, and a Mini and a Motorrad. Actually, there were four concepts. Yeah. But yeah, that's this one. And um, clearly you can see some influences from that concept into also New York Classe, but also some yeah. other cars as well, especially on the digital side. But is there something that you've learned behind the scenes about that car? Was there something challenging or something more interesting about that project? And maybe what you put in the um, book? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 hopefully I've tried to put it all in the book that was interesting. But um, I think one of the fascinating things about it is, is it works. What I mean by it works is it's got these fully enclosed wheels. Mm-hmm. And what I did not realize was I thought it was all CGI and, you know, make-believe. And what I realized is BMW can't help itself. It properly engineered it. So there's fully covered wheels and everything turns and moves and articulates with the suspension. It's really cool. I was going to say, doesn't, didn't the next 100 like also like, like kind of morph its body a little bit? A little bit with, with the wheels. So it yeah. changes shape. So like it get wider and wider. Yeah. things like that. It's a bit like how, if you look at crocodile skin, the way it cracks and opens, it's it's got that sort of movement within the joints. So it's almost alive. And um, it's a bit of a cliche, I think, in the car industry to talk about cars being alive, but that car almost is alive. And I and I sat with it, and it has real presence. And when you're with that car, it feels, it does feel from another world. It's a very cool car. Though. I didn't realize how cool it was. Yeah, that shows the influence of BMW Gina concept, right? I mean, that car also had a huge influence on BMW, and I guess some of the uh, materials and all of that, they're clearly inspired by Gina, I guess. Well, I, th- I think that's one of the coolest pictures you reminded me there, actually. I was showing in the book. It's just, there is a picture of uh, the car being built, Vision Next 100, in the background off to one side is the Gina, the Gina concept car with the fabric skin. And it was there just as inspiration for them that they've done this before. They've really pushed the boundaries. And, and the Gina concept with its fabric skin is probably one of the most brain-stretching vehicles that they've ever done. Um, so G- Gina is Gina's another really cool story, I think, as well, because it influenced their production cars, as you saw in, in one of the pages there, where they actually looked at using its fabric skin to influence the design. Um, Gina's really cool. Um, I love... I think it still holds a lot of cool concepts today. Like even if you see it today, you're like, whoa, who who even thinks of that? Things like the fabric, mm-hmm. like the Superman spreading to see the engine, you know, and the blinking of the highlights for the eyes and things like that. Just like the whole idea around it was just so far ahead, I feel. Well, and, and that's the thing that they, they sometimes say internally, we need to think like Gina. And so it leaves its legacy today inside the company that they were able to scramble their brain. Because for those of us on the outside, I think we all imagine fabric, skin, whatever, whatever. But actually, there's a lot about that that's really interesting mm-hmm. because lights can shine through it. It can change shape. It's very light. There's no tooling costs. So there's so much in Gina by not using metal but using fabric that's really different mm-hmm. and radical in its thinking. And they... I mean, I've got the photos, I didn't put them in the book, but they had sort of Gina generators that could pull and twist shapes and things like that. And and some of that Gina thinking went through onto the original Z4 on the trunk as that pushed mm-hmm. up rear end. That's, that's Gina-inspired. And on the M3, 
think it's the somebody's going to drag me here. Uh, e forty six and three. The 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 hood is stitched with a little uh, as if it's metal. Uh, it's fabric, so it pulls the metal into it. So there was it, it did change the way they think of it. So it's it's a very cool car because I've got the pictures now that show they were even thinking of using its influence for the uh, E ninety three coupe, which. You know, how cool is that? Well, they, but behind the scenes, it really was being used. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of Gene, I mean, um, clearly that was a Chris Bangle project. Um, how was that experience talking to um, to Bangle? I had a chance to I had a chance to talk to him a few times in the past, but I haven't I have, haven't seen him in a while now. Um, was he was he upfront about things? Was he open talking to you? Same thing with Kareem Habib. Um, both Chris and, and Kareem Habib, they were really generous with their time. And I mean, to the extent probably we've spoken, Chris and I, maybe six, eight hours we've been speaking. But we've got different occasions. You get exhausted if you spoke to him just for eight hours. What's interesting with Chris is he's so full of ideals. Um, and how his mind thinks is so fast. Um, but what a... Um, what a sensitive man he is in terms of he's sensitive to his people. Um, he's very generous. I I found him absolutely fascinating to talk to. I must be honest, actually. Um, and um, I love the fact that he contributed so much to that. There's one chapter in the book, which is, I try not to make chapters about people. I think that people are so important to the story, but I think people want to read about an era. And so... There is one chapter, though, that is very much Chris Bangle's era, and, and it was wonderful to get so much insight from him. Um, so he was terrific. Um, gotcha. And what about Kareem? Kareem was similarly, I mean, you have to appreciate Chris is not so much retired, but he's not a, an active design, design boss. But Kareem is obviously now the current head of design for Kia. And I was amazed how enthusiastic he was to talk. I mean, Kareem sort of was so much a part of that place for so long and uh, again very generous with his time and i thought very honest and you know quite comfortable praising bmw and what it's good at you know remember usually you've got a pr person saying well don't praise the competition this is the end of the year but kareem had a sense that this book was history and this was for him to be in his place in history within that company so uh, I'll give him full credit for that. As the head of um, the global head of Kia Design, absolutely Kia do some fantastic stuff now. Still really comfortable and really enthusiastic to help on the BMW book. Um, so full marks to him on that. Understand. I have to mention probably Domagoy because Domagoy, I mean, he's kind of the, the, the face of BMW right now. He's pushing the company forward in sure. many different ways. Some some would say his designs are controversial, but I guess sales prove that they're selling. So um, once again, uh, style and design could be subjective sometimes. But how was the experience talking to Domagoy? Because I, I absolutely know him really, really well. So I'm trying mm. to see or I'm trying to understand um, what's his vision for the company or something that maybe you've learned that you put in the books as well, because mm. I've seen a lot of Domagoy's quotes in the book. Yeah, um, well, Domagoy, again, generous with his time. I mean, he's busy. Goodness me, he's busy. I mean, I would say that. Um, and Domagoy is very honest. I mean, to the point where I think there's, a, there's an openness and honest to, honesty to him that probably would surprise people if I'm bang. Um, and one of the things that he did, which I think was probably so honest that it's probably a surprise to readers, and you'll have seen it there in the book, is um, is why it was time to change. So he's quite comfortable talking about why it will change in the future. Um, and I liked him for that, that honesty and openness, because people never usually talk about the future quite so openly, but he did. Um, but similarly, I, I challenged him. I challenged him on XM. I said, okay, you sold me an XM. You know it's a controversial car. Sell me the story of XM and why I should ever consider buying one. And if you convince me that the story is interesting enough, it will go in the book. And it doesn't necessarily make me buy one, but it would make me point out why it's there and the backstory behind it. And and I think to get that story from the man who pushed that car along with Jose Cash, um, it's it's terrific that we've got those backstories from, from Domagoy. So I was going to leave that story last, but I guess now that you mentioned <laughs> that, we have to we have to tease that a little bit. So 
it's part of the second book, um, you know, Hidden Gems. And um, I just I just wrote, you know, a short story based on, on your book on that project and how initially the Halo car for the M brand was supposed to be this secret project called I-16, something I've heard about, you know, even before I read the book, I knew there was approved and ready to go. And then I guess a lot of things happened behind the scenes. But um, tell me more about that. I mean, if people don't know, I-16 it was this successor of the BMW i8. It was based on the Vision M Next, a car that I've seen personally a few times, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, what can you tell us about that project? What have you learned? And why was it canceled? Because the book, it's a little bit vague on that. <laughs> um, okay. You're pushing me now. Um, so so I, I 16 is actually in the main book. Um, oh, is it in the main book? Okay. Yeah, it's in the No, it's in the main book. And it's, and just to recap for those that don't know because I haven't yet read the book. So I 16 was essentially what would have been, I wouldn't say BMW's next M1, but very close to being what would be BMW's next M1. Now, the thing you have to remember is BMW has done new X1s, uh, M1s rather, for um, decades. I have got so many BMW M1s that never were. It's almost a book in itself. Um, I've got the 90s BMW M1. I've got the 2000. You know, there's a point where there is a lot of BMW M1. And one of the most senior people in Adrian's team, Werner Almeyer, said, there's somebody designing a BMW M1 every day behind <laughs> the scenes, so under their desk. It's just what everybody does. And the reality is um, they came up with a very clever idea, which is to use some of the I-8 structure um, and to evolve it with a four-cylinder engine, um, and I think it's 534 horsepower. I'd have to check, but it's around that sort of number. Yeah. Um, and it would be essentially uh, the M Nexus production car. What wasn't known was it was about 95% finished um, because it's never been publicly announced. And um, it's a terrific looking thing. I mean, I've got um, the pictures that are in there plus a few others, and it's a, it's a terrific looking car. Uh, why was it cancelled? Well, the honest truth is it's volume. It's like all these things. Is, um, as somebody said to me, it's easy to find 100,000 enthusiasts on the internet that will tell you BMW should make a car. But try and find 20,000 customers that will buy it isn't so easy. And at the end of the day, they can't just make a car to lose money. Um, and the i8 just scraped in with that 20,000 unit volume um, and I can't claim I know the profitability of, of IA in any detail but it was clearly a halo car but there's only so much you can do when no, no board, no shareholder no owner should really want BMW just to make a car at a loss that's just not a good idea and then you've got a situation where um, in the market at the moment we may have a lot of hybrid technology in place but you know the, the, the that high end of the supercar market i mean a step above where i was uh, people have got 10 12 eight cylinders at the least and and it's kind of tough being in that market even if you've got the power uh, you know you, you take my point so it is a powertrain sapping market um now it's all going to change electrically really, but that's another story Yes, I'm, I'm hoping that you pushed back on that a little bit because, I mean, it's the same story I've heard a million times from them. It's a, it, it's a very political, correct answer, and that's fair from them also. But, you know, I, I, I counterpoint that all the time when I talk to them. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's all about the business case and if it makes sense and all of that. But there's so many other products in the market that have done great for brands to elevate their marketing status or even the brand like, you know, Audi R8, right? I'm not even going to go to other brands. We talk about that. The car they've lost money on was not even that great of a driving certain configurations, but it did well for Audi. And I guess BMW didn't need that for a while. I guess mm -hmm. it was not needed. But it came to well, a point exactly. where, where, I, where I feel like the Halo car is needed. And mostly I blame this on social media, how information spreads today, because those type of products today, they can elevate the brand a lot, the brand a lot faster than before just through social media. Mm -hmm. Like before, it was maybe just a few car magazines mm -hmm. here and there. But now you put the good product out it just spreads like fire it actually influences people to buy other cars within the brand so i'm, I'm truly hoping that maybe you asked you know or you you went back to them and say hey you know how about this you know well um i'll answer your point in two ways firstly social media can kill a car 
helpful as they could come. And so, you know, I've seen people say, what on earth they do? Five, you know, they can't possibly cut it for 500 horsepower. I'm like, last time I drove a 500 horsepower car, I nearly killed myself. I don't need 400 horsepower. I'm not, who needs, you know, but the point would be in the world of social media is, is if people are talking about 1,000 horsepower cars, well, you know, you don't need a 1,000 horsepower car. You don't even need a 500 horsepower car. But the reality is, is it's it's a bit of a gain of numbers. So there's that element to it. Um, but also from BMW's perspective, is they are massively keen to do halo cars. I mean, I, I you know I don't think it's any great secret with the 3.0 CSL um, that that was an instant sale um, at 750,000 euros plus tax, um, and then you've got what would have been an opportunity with the Z3 Touring Coupe that was last year's concept car. We'll wait and see what is this year's concept car. <laughs> um, um, but there's no doubt. There's no doubt that they would love to do something more. And, you know, watch watch this space. There's an opportunity or two that might answer a few people's questions there this year. Yeah, the, um, the word on the street is they're actively currently as of last month, trying to push another one through. Uh, so I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard some mixed stories about that, but I'll save that for an article. <laughs> There's always somebody <laughs> designing an M1. That's all I'll say. Maybe probably. <laughs> I don't want to give it away yet, but I've heard some stories about that. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't want to take over the whole uh, the whole chat. So Nate, uh, Nate if, you, if you want to jump in, feel free. Yeah, no. Um, is there... I know you talked about the next 100, but... Um, being kind of that highlight one that kind of surprised you, but was there anything that kind of cemented as your favorite in there or grew as being like, that was something that you enjoyed covering the most? Yeah. Um, a, a car I never had any love for whatsoever, which is E3180. Um, uh, um, when you dive into the book, I, 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 I mean, I try and stay on focus as an author, but occasionally you have to let you, you know, you have to stroke the children, you know, yeah. and, and, and it was with the, it's such an unloved car and it's the anti-hero, right? Great looking car. Beautiful. Disaster in the market. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I managed to get all these design sketches of the versions of it that didn't come out and the backstories behind it. And I thought, I began to fall for that car. And I, of course, I do this all the time, as I'm sure. All these just like, should I go and buy one? You know, and I was like, well, they're quite cheap. And then, and then next week, I move on to a one-end coupe. And I think, no, no, no. And then it was a Z8. And I thought, you know, just stop. It's a little <laughs> bit what I do. Don't be like everybody else. And I, and I thought, oh, it's kind of cool, that thing, you know. And I'm, so I thought that was a really interesting story, is how the E31 um, 8 Series had what I would call scope creep, as we call it in the in the trade, is it's, it, it became so BMW in the vision of Wolfgang Wrights at the time that it was actually not the right car. And what the market wanted was an affordable six and eight cylinder car, which was what we got in the US market with the Lexus SC300, um, which absolutely hit the market, right time, right price point, sold. Fan- it outsold the eight series, I think, 10 to one. Um, and yet it was in the same category of a, of a, of a luxury coupe. Um, so I think that's a really interesting story because if I've got them in the book, the early design sketches, and they were beautiful. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. But it came this very bombastic um, high-speed autobar and cruiser with six suspension with a huge V12 engine. And that's not what the California and the Floridian market is about. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's an interesting story. And uh, it's a design, I think, that's really held up really well, too. Like you're saying, it's a beautiful car. I think so, too, today. I think when people, even non-BMW enthusiasts, see that, they don't think of how old that car actually is. Totally, totally. And and its designer, Klaus Kapitza, was a long-time Ford designer. And so I was able, for those that read my code books, track, because most of BMW's design team in the 80s was Ford's design team. So the Sierra, for those of you on Mecca and and, and Mecca are from the eye in this market, um, the um, the Sierra design team actually moved on mass from Ford, and they were really some of the most talented designers of the era. So they moved across to to BMW, and they went on to stellar careers, um, running what design Aston, Porsche. I mean, all Alfa Romeo. I mean, there's a lot of these people, you know. And so, uh, so BMW is very lucky in the eighties to pick up. 
you know, that design team and, and bed them in. So, uh, so I think that's also a cool part of the story as well. Gotcha. So you mentioned earlier that you were a designer before, and now going back into design studios at BMW and Ford, what can you tell us how things have changed when it comes to actually designing a car, painting a car, but also maybe some of the differences in between a design process at Ford versus the one at BMW? Okay, that's a good question. Well, first I was a design engineer rather than a designer, so don't let me find and draw a car. It's, 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 it's never going to work out well, but I do see the language. the same world. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I come from that world, and so I've spent a lot of my time in design studios. Um, well, the first thing to remember is obviously how it changes across the industry. And so when I when I was a young lad starting in it, all the studios were like this, the desks around the edge, and there's the clay models in the middle, and the whole place would smell of this special clay called Chavant clay. And, and, and the air was damp because of the clay was dry. It was always very damp in the studio. And the other thing you could always smell was the clay and the marker pens. And you always sort of the those smell of the market ends that sort of get you high or whatever it is. And, yeah. and, and so there was a very distinct feel in the studios. And I think most people's imagination considers that's what a design studio is like today. And, and so the BMW studio is not like that. As the, the, the other studios, because people are using computers. So they're staring at a giant screen or at a desk. And they do still make clay models. But they also do a lot of digital models and phone models, and I'll mention that. I'll come back in a moment. But if you think of the BMW studio, um, whereas in days gone by you'd walk around and there'd be all the clay models and you'd see the cars in the future, now they're all draped. So so they only uncover them when they need to. So, And that's because everybody's walking around with an iPhone. And how do you stop? You know, when I worked for Jaguar, we used to have a little sticker um, that you put over your phone. Ford did too, and I visited the Ford studio some years ago. They put a little Ford sticker or a Jaguar sticker over the, over over your phone lens. But of course, people will sneak in with another phone. So, uh, so what they do is they cover all the models um, so that you don't sort of see the the, the, the uh, unless you're actually looking at it and we've shown it. Um, but also, the designers are just sort of sitting off on different floors or whatever because they're just using their their wake tablets and whatever, and they're on Photoshop. They're drawing away, so it's not as glamorous looking as it used to be, if all this with you. Um, so somebody can be doing a spreadsheet or designing a car, you have to look what's on the screen. You know, so it, it, very much has changed. Gotcha. Uh, and the other thing I mentioned there, and I should come back to is, is the phone models. So they do still use models, um, but one of the things they do now is, and it, again, it's in the book when they start using it on the BMW on the whole, is they mill the model quickly on a phone in three-dimensional axis. So you can get to a, a model really quickly. Rather than making it out of clay, you can just mill the foam into shape and get a very so it's very dense foam. It's not like the package where you get very dense foam. So you can just mill it in, 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 in probably a couple of hours, I think they can do it now. And so you can look at it that way. Um, so the, the, the industry has changed beyond beyond compare. I mean, I'll give you a case in point for it's not BMW, but another manufacturer. They, they now have apps on their phones. They will 3D scan a car. And I know of one car company, not BMW, that actually goes off and builds its competitors' cars and makes them into 3D models for clinics. So they actually clinic test um, their competitors' cars. Again, it's not BMW, but I think it's so amazing that that's the future we live in now. So digital has transformed it, obviously. Yeah, and speaking of digital and like the transformation from previous years to now is the hyper-focus on interior and comfort as well. Um, which is something that I don't know if you covered in your book, but you know, in the past it was all about driver focus and now it's all about yep. comfort and tech and stuff like that. So how has, and, and that's very much a huge focus with like the Noi class, you know, it's, it's all that new Dude. tech focus. Um, do we go through any of that? Um, through, through yeah, any of your totally. book? yeah. So, um, with Noi class, um, it's very much the final chapter because it's the car mm -hmm. of the future. And so I talk extensively about how they were inspired with the uh, head-up panoramic display. So I think um, to get an insight into what's to come, I think that chapter is amazing because you really get to understand the genesis of the car and the production car that will follow. And so on that level, the future tech in it, that's covered really well in that chapter. It's probably one of the chapters I'm most proud of because I didn't expect to go so far into the future. 
I mean, it really does go a lot deeper and a lot more genuine without sort of PR massaging. It's very much into the future. Um, but you asked about history of design. So that's in the second book, uh, Hidden Gems, where I cover the history of interior design. Because it's a really good point. I did not want this book to be just about superficial styling and the design is so much deeper. And so um, I think it's probably the most, two of the most difficult chapters to write was that one about history of interior design where I got, I, and I talked to the designers. So this is the other thing is I interviewed 120 people for these books, um, which is like um, the Walter Isaac um, biography on Steve Jobs is that level of interviews you're doing. And it's exhausting to talk to 120 people. Fun to say, oh, it's a lot of conversation. And um, I don't even want to talk to so 20 talk- people. So, But I got them to narrate their own sketches. So where possible, I have a designer narrate their work. So I think it's um, a wonderful opportunity that I don't think a book has ever been done. Like that where you're just sitting with a designer and they're talking to you about how they design it. So... For an interior design, the second book um, in the three-book set, BMW Hidden Gems, you see the evolution of interior design with the sketches, and they talk through how things change. And I'd love to do a book on interior design someday. I thought it was so cool. I want to see people like that chapter, because that was one I was determined to do was the history of interior, BMW interior design. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that people just don't notice. I mean, I remember when I was you know just getting into driving and BMWs, like the one thing I loved about BMW when I first started was every time I got into one, they all felt very similar, right? Like buttons in yeah. the same place is all driver focused and all very much geared to be very efficient for the driver. And then I think what really opened my eyes is when I test drove the i3. And then just like completely different world, you know, very minimalist and clean and airy. And I just like, I could feel how that design was like totally geared for people who are probably going to be sitting in traffic and things like that and coming out of work. And it just was completely like night and day difference and how much I really enjoyed the the polar opposites of that and, and just how the driving experience changed because of that as well. Well, and it's good that you mention it because the i3 and the i8 are extensively in the interior design story because the designers that did that so proud of their work, so proud of it even now. And it was almost like a boot camp off-site where those two vehicles were designed, and it was so different. And they 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 all admit to me they felt they were in competition with each other, like no other design. Uh, because they were trying to redefine what an interior could be and all that eucalyptus wood and all that cool stuff. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I3, just an amazing piece of material so and, and so different. Yeah, it was so far thinking yeah. that actually now if you sit in like a Tesla Model 3, you know, you can totally tell they took a lot of those very clean lines, uh, very, you know, that modern look, it's very, very similar to that original i3. And that's what a lot of people today love about that Tesla. Like it's so clean and it's so airy. And it's like, you know, it's that shows you how far ahead BMW is thinking and pushing, pushing their envelope already. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and, and that's what I tried to do in the book is these seminal, what I would call, it's a German phrase of lighthouse um, interiors. So they do, you know, and the other one that I think is one of the coolest sketches in there is the BMW uh, E25 Turbo interior, um, which is all this fiery orange. And and the amazing thing that I didn't know, I don't think it's widely that it was supposed to be intended for production. And so I looked at the sketches and, and I realized why it's actually got cigarette lighter and everything. No concept car has a cigarette lighter in there. It's, it was always intended as a production shot. Um so that was that was kind of cool. And the other end of the story is the G67 series, where talking to the designers there about how they got into Cashman. I think you covered it on, on the blog, didn't you, Rachel, the other day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's a really cool story of why they used Cashmere. And they rediscovered that horseless carriages used cloth in the inside, and it was the guy sitting on the outside whipping the horses that sat on the leather seat to protect from the rain. And it was all about opulence of Cashmere. And how they rediscovered that. And that gave them inspiration with the G60, which was almost, what if BMW did it on a Rolls-Royce, but was competing with a Bentley, which is a lower-priced car too. Um, and 
And I was talking to BMW Park Lane just a couple of days ago, and, and the buyers of these cars are like billionaires. It's amazing how wealthy some of these buyers are at that end of the market. So what they're wanting is subtlety and taste and that opulence of cashmere. So I thought that was a really interesting interior design story of just what people are buying, why they're buying that stuff. It is. Did they tell you, I mean, I was I, when I wrote the story, I've, I've talked about cashmere when the car came out and all of that, and clearly durability, so it's a big it's a big thing when it comes to that type of materials. And I tried to find that in the book, but I guess it was just brief on that. Did they tell you more about that? Like how they approach durability compared to leather? Uh, I, I can go back into my notes, but I remember that it was, a, it was a lot of durability testing. I mean, it was one of those things where it was little touch and go, I think in terms of was there an expectation of durability testing, but it, it's done it. But the issue is this durability of where this durability of fingerprints and you know i mean if you put yeah. chocolate on cashmere you'll ruin it i mean there's nothing you can do about that clearly um but that's the same for any fabric in truth so you know uh, but um but yeah it's it, it's it's one of those things where they really push hard to do it but unless the customer knows that story i don't know that they'd understand why they would just not choose default black leather which is sadly what so many people do yeah for sure so um I'm going to ask one more question about all the concepts and prototypes that you've seen. So clearly you've seen sketches, you've seen clay models, you've seen probably production-ready you know, cars as well in their studios. Was there a particular car which you personally wished it was made? And I'm going to start with my preference, you know, um, that, that, you know, the, all of the concepts that I've seen over the years, um, the BMW 2002 Turbo. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the Turbo Mars, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean the homage, the Jägermeister one, yeah. or the uh, the silver one. I mean, I f I felt like that was such a good concept car. There was there was paying homage to the brand in a proper way. It was a proper successor to the, th the 2002. It was exactly what the brand kind of stood for, and hopefully still stands for. But I'm curious, what's your what's your favorite out of all of them? Um, well, before I started the book, it would have been the 3.0 CSL Mars, but then they started giving me nudges that don't worry, it's coming. And I'm thinking, they're never going to yeah. that after all this time. And then they yeah. it, just, just wait a few months. Damn it, they are making it. Um, so I would share with you the homage thing. The, the thing is that the problem is, is I get so close to these people and I say exactly what I would agree with you, really, that I thought 2002 Mars was one of them. But it was such an inspiration for the M2 that Ian Robertson, who's the board member for uh, sales and marketing, said, yeah, but Steve, time passed it by. It would have come out very late in the cycle because for those that haven't read the book, I'll give a bit away, which is that car was intended to be made in production. So that was the big surprise. That and This is why these concepts are more important than people realize. The idea was to do a limited run of those 2002 homages based on um, – what was the uh, the first generation M2. But it really put a lot of inspiration into the current M2, its wide arch stance and everything, which, again, I know current M2 is, you know, a somewhat boundary-pushing again, I get that. But it takes a lot of that mindset, if you like, from, from that car. And that's the thing. Is that's their job as much as anything, is to inspire what's to follow, and yet we can't see on the outside so much. So there's a little bit of it did happen in some ways. Um, and... When you look at them side by side, I kind of get it really that, that there's a lot of M2 as lean into 2002 homage. Um, but I tell you, the one car I do wish that they'd made because the designers and engineers are so passionate about it now. And that's it. We should come back to it when we discuss the hidden gems book is the, the 2K2, the 2002 that they nearly brought back in the 90s because it's such a cool story. I think that. Um, so that's probably my favorite, I think. Um, gotcha. um, so a little bit of background on that that we're, we're still waiting to run that story I guess that's a, that's an interesting story that we're we're going to run soon we will. and then you can we'll give you a little insight and then you can see it in in the book but yeah that's a fascinating story uh, back to the 2002 um, I agree I guess that's that's what concepts are to inspire other products but that car even if you look today whatever seventy seven eight years later is okay. still ready for production you can put that in production today it was almost production ready based on the design that i saw and and if the i16 and all these products were not really sharing a lot of the platforms with other products when it comes to something like that it was clearly based on clark they could have shared that the cost would have been lower and once again that might might have been even a better halo car than the i16 in my opinion honestly now that 
if, if I go back because it just speaks to the true enthusiast mm -hmm. of the brand. The Halo cards have to be CSL 2002 and M1, um, and they were listed to each of them as a large cars. Um, one of them did get made, finally, with the 3.0 CSL. Um, but the good news is they've learned from that. They got one made. They got or got 50 of them made. They got 50 in production. And if I ever get around to doing the 3.0 CSL story, which I'm tempted to do that another book another time, that's a really cool story, how that car came to be. And that's, sorry to say, not in the book. But, um, I think that's a really cool car because it was somebody else's influence on BMW that suggested a way of making that car. It's finding a way to get through the system. And uh, they did it. They finally did it. So, you know what? We could always hope for the future, can't we? Yeah, exactly. All right, so I guess we're coming up on to one hour. Uh, I don't want to keep you any longer. I said, you know, we're, we're going to try to break this down into two, three sure. different episodes. Um, I guess Hidden Gems, it's, it's a it's it's so interesting. There's so many stories to tell there. So I don't want to take away from that book because I feel like we can have a full conversation just on that. And then once the third book is out, I can't wait to read it, honestly. I've, yeah, well, I read both books in less than 48 hours, honestly. Yeah, so. I, I, I was always amazed you said you'd read it in, and I couldn't believe it. Nobody else had read it at all. I think there, there was 10. So you don't know this, Richard, but you got, there were 10 copies, right? And you got one of the 10 copies. I, I sort of had to think, well, who's, who's going to get the 10 copies? Adrian got one, and you got one. So, and there were like eight others. And, and then you said, I've read it. I said, how the hell has he read it over Christmas time there? And then I realized you had. That was the thing. So, um, so congrats to the first person ever to read the two books. Uh, um, the third one, you'll be pleased to know, print today. And uh, for those that are waiting, my readers are really patient. Uh, I'm amazed. Um, I'm hoping that they're going to start making the three books set next week. Um, it is a hand-finished book. It's um, a cheap book, but it's a beautiful series of books. Um, so I'm hoping that all three books, you know, we'll have them in our hands over here in the US probably in two to three weeks. So, um, yeah, I'll get, you, I'll get you a set and we can talk through them all again. And for those who are listening or watching, how would they go about getting your books? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm in terrible sales. <laughs> um, so it's pretty easy. Um, we sell them direct, by the way, not to Amazon, just because otherwise the price gets hugely crazy. So um, so it's just my name, stevesaxty.com, S-A-X-T-Y. Um, and you just go to my page and you'll find the books there. Um, and it's easy enough. stevesaxty.com, um, and, and you'll find it easy enough. Do you recommend all three books or just one of them? <laughs> well, I'm really honest. So you got to sell it harder. You got to sell it harder no, than that. And no, books are really good. Um, well, people say to me, I'm English, remember. Um, <laughs> I always say to people, look, the, the best value has to be in buying the cheapest, but the best is always the one that's had the most love and most care. And all I can tell you is, is 75% of sales are of the three books set. Um, BMW got their prototype. Uh, I haven't even seen it. They're beyond excited this week. My printer rang me up, something they've never done before. And they said, Steve, you've got to raise the price of this. And they never tell me these things. So um, I, I, I have to tell you, I'm so excited about the three book set because it's so cool. It's not just three books. I mean, it's got a print set in there. It's signed and numbered. It's got this beautiful slipcase that's all wonderful orange and I, it, the, the, yeah i know which one i go for because it's really cool actually and 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 the price it's really good for you down there so yeah um that's as good as a salesman i'll ever be <laughs> that sounds good i mean honestly they really are good i recommended the books you know to to some of my friends i mean aside from you know having them on the website and social media but uh, i've told my friends yeah if there is one book that you should buy you should definitely buy this one because it's it's not just like you said the past of the brand but it's also the current you know and the future of the brand and and a lot of us are younger so maybe they we don't know all the stories from the 70s and 80s but we definitely know the 90s 20 like in 2000s and uh, a lot of the things in the book you know uh, speak to us so that's why i found it extremely fascinating so telling my friends you know even from bmw i'm like you gotta buy the book because you will learn more about the company that you probably learn from your day oh job. i know oh, yeah. all the bmw chase me it's like where's the employee discount so yeah I, I... <laughs> That's amazing. We, um, but 
it, it was honestly one of those things where I felt it was a magical experience that, to be trusted by a company that was going to give me the opportunity to tell their story in a way that nobody's ever been allowed access to a design archive. Nobody's ever been in. Nobody's ever been able to just have free range talk and sit with the designers as I did without, I mean, for hours and hours in, in Munich um, to be inside the fits. Um, you know, people just don't go inside the fits. It's been a magical experience. And I really, really, really fell for BMW in my heart and soul because they trusted me and I trust them. It's It's been a really wonderful experience. I, you know, I'm so glad to have done it and I'm just delighted if people like it. Um, That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. So um, there you go. So in case you're listening to this podcast, feel free to go to our YouTube channel. We're going to show some uh, some things from the book, some printouts and some sketches. And also you can see what we talked about here. I was showing some books also. Then, of course, we'll include the you know link to Steve's website in the description. And I guess I'm looking forward to the next chat already. So I just want to thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You're very patient with all my questions via email as well, trying to <laughs> yeah, no, so, learn more. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. And I appreciate I you guys being so no, no, no. It was great. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the the background story is also that I reached out to you even more recently. I said, you know, are there any more interesting things in the book that maybe I should talk about? Because maybe I missed it because I was just reading through it so fast and trying to assimilate everything quickly. But uh, so I appreciate it as well. And hopefully we can, you know, help you with the next book too. But um, it was a pleasure, really, Steve. Uh, the next book I'll be starting in a few months, but that's another, another time. Let's, let's, let's get <laughs> this one finished first. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve. We look forward to seeing you next time. Nate, always a pleasure. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Yeah. Bye okay. for now. Thanks so much, guys.